at all. But amen. I want to invite you to turn with me this evening to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12. I trust as we read it will become apparent that we have not abandoned Jonah. We're just visiting with Jonah from a different place. But this, I trust, or plan at least, is our last meditation on Jonah this evening. But Matthew 12, will begin reading in verse 38 of the chapter. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Amen. We trust the Lord will again add his blessing to the public reading of his inspired word. Let's bow our heads and our hearts together. Our Heavenly Father, tonight it is again with joy that we lift praise and adoration with our brethren to a worthy God and Savior. And we ask that tonight as we come to the close of this Sabbath day, that you might again take up your word which is living and powerful, and that you might minister to these needy hearts, our needy hearts that are gathered here. And we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. In our survey of the Minor Prophets, we have tarried for a little season in the little prophecy of Jonah. One of the reasons, as we suggested, is that among these Minor Prophets, Jonah has a unique place in that his prophecy, his book, is not just a commentary, it's not just a sermon that is given to apostate Israel or Judah, as many of his other prophets were. It's not just a statement of perhaps a future destiny or judgment for an ungodly nation, as we see some of the other prophets are. His prophecy is a prophecy that has a message for us. There have been so many pieces of Jonah's experience. He's, in some ways, the center of his book. Nineveh certainly appears. But God's wrestlings with the heart of a prophet that is, in some ways, a man of God and burdened and has his heart in the right place, and in other ways, he let that zeal for one aspect of truth cloud his, well, not even really his judgment, cloud his will. Cloud his desires, cloud and mar his actions. The Lord has dealt and does deal graciously with the servant. But lest we leave Jonah with 
something of a negative impression with his own confession, if you will, to us, as we saw in the fourth chapter last week. We come now to the New Testament commentary on this prophet. Our Lord on two occasions makes reference to Jonah. Here in Matthew 12 and the parallel accounts and in Matthew 16 as well. There's much similarity in the reference, though the occasion for the comments is different. But our Lord speaks here, and as you combine the references, if we could put it in these ways, he speaks of Jonah with reference to his being a type. As Jonah was, three days, three nights, etc., so the Son of Man. He speaks of Jonah as a sign. He very specifically calls Jonah a sign and says no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he also speaks of Jonah with reference to a contrast. A greater than Jonah is here. And it's to these three aspects of our Lord's commentary on Jonah that I want us to look tonight. I have mentioned Hugh Martin. I should add to that in recent uh, messages, uh, Patrick Fairbairn. There are commentaries on Jonah that have been so valuable, and those men in the Free Church of Scotland, they had a tremendous heart. They had ability to bring deep, thoughtful, reverent theology together with very practical, warm, spiritual application Hugh Martin has three extensive chapters on these three aspects and references, if you will, to Jonah in the New Testament. Well, a lesser than Hugh Martin is here, and we'll not take three whole messages to deal with each of these. We did so many, many years ago at one time. But I want to bring these together, and in the Lord's will, as we've said, close out our meditations on Jonah and move on in our survey of these minor prophets. But these three aspects of our Lord's reference to Jonah in the New Testament, the type, the sign, and the contrast. So think with me, if you will, first of Jonah as a type. As Jonah was in so many ways, the Lord said, the Son of Man is to his generation and those that were under his ministry. We looked at Jonah. We considered the remarkable work that God did in Nineveh in bringing repentance to the nation and thus avoiding the judgment that he had threatened through the prophet. It is possible we should understand and readily confess that God would have granted, can we say, immediate repentance to the Ninevites, immediate more in the sense of no other things intervening. But it is also quite possible, and indeed, that the Lord granted repentance to the Ninevites, not immediately with no other truth, no other things intervening, but with a knowledge given to the Ninevites of who this Jonah was a knowledge of something of his experience. And some of these worthies from days gone by worked uh, well through the particulars of understanding there must have been some knowledge on the part of the Ninevites with regard to Jonah's, could we say, recent history, uh, who he was and what he'd been through 
before he came to preach to them. So Jonah became a type to these Ninevites. He was a man that came representing Israel's God. Israel was known among the nations. Wandered often, again, big picture stuff. Reading in Genesis recently, it's January, you know. But the nations of the land of Canaan. And there, could we say, further along, being further along in their apostasy than in Mesopotamia. And as Abraham was taken out of those nations and brought to Canaan, and their view of Abraham, their knowledge of who he was, as he reared that altar in the midst of the land, reminding them, really, of gospel truth that they had abandoned long ago. But Jonah, from Israel, Israel's God, Israel's testimony in the ancient world, the surrounding and even distant nations. We read even of the Queen of the South coming to Solomon. This prophet from Israel, these people perhaps even the heathen recognized were not doing a good job representing their own God. What a poor testimony that was indeed. And here's one of their prophets. Perhaps one that the Ninevites would have been easily ready to ignore. Perhaps based on Israel's poor testimony. Perhaps based just on their own ungodliness and suppressing the truth in unrighteousness as it's phrased in the New Testament. Jonah to hear or choose to ignore. He comes with history. We might say at this point that Jonah comes with baggage. He has not fared well in his own soul. He has thought he's known better than God what was needed in his perplexing times. He has directly disobeyed his God. And instead of arising and going to Nineveh, he arose and went to Tarshish. Perhaps there were some eastbound ships that night in the Mediterranean that endured the storm that Jonah's westbound ship was enduring. Perhaps as they arrived in Nineveh, they told stories of a most unusual journey than previous journeys in bringing their wares. Perhaps some before Jonah arrived had heard Jonah's story. We don't know. We're not sure that they did. Perhaps it's not overly likely that they had, and yet it's not at all impossible that they had heard. But Jonah himself comes. <clears throat> Jonah bears witness. And what is Jonah then a type of for these people? He comes with this testimony accompanying his message. He comes then with evidence for them, if you will, that Jonah's God, that Israel's God, that the God of all the earth, is not a God to be trifled with. He can control the heavens. He can control the seas. He can control the fish of the seas. He can have a fish swallow up a man and then deposit him back on the beach. A couple days' time. 
That's who Israel's God is. That's who Jonah's God is. That's who the real God is. Idols can't do such things. Jonah's God can. Perhaps this God is a God to be feared. Perhaps a word from this God is a word to be heard. Perhaps we need something more of the fear of God than we have. But if Jonah was a type to them of the prospect of judgment, of accountability for sin, he was equally a type for them of forgiveness. Because here he stands before them. This man who had said no to God, I'm not going to Nineveh. And God had, yes, chastened him. Brought him through remarkable chastening. And yet preserved him. Heard the prayer of chapter 2 that we have read together. Remarkable prayer of confession. Of acknowledgement of sin. And Jonah is forgiven. Perhaps the Ninevites have the understanding. Well, if this God chastened Jonah and yet heard his prayer of repentance, forgave him and delivered him, perhaps he will hear our prayer of repentance and deliver us. Jonah, the type. But think with me secondly of Jonah the sign. Here we read in the Gospels here in the parallel we might say our Lord's repetition of his statement from another perspective in chapter 16. Certain we read of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. Signs. What a topic. It's one that garners interest. You ever think through the Bible stuff that people get interested in quickly and the Bible stuff that they're not interested in enough? Like the Gospel. Signs and stuff in between the lines, secret codes and all the prophecy stuff, that stirs our interest well, but Gospel truth who I am in myself outside of Christ and what Christ is and has done for His people. Would to God that garnered more interest than it does. Can we just think for a minute about the Scripture's teaching with regard to signs? I remember years ago looking at this. I can't remember if it was in the context of studying Jonah or not. But there are two ways really to seek for a sign. We can read this statement of our Lord here and see that what is happening here is clearly condemned. But yet we see some other instances in Scripture where believers, where godly people seek for a sign, and God doesn't rebuke them. Instead, He grants them a sign. Think of some examples of that. Moses, Exodus 3. The burning bush. God commissions him to go to Pharaoh. 
to announce to Pharaoh that he should let Israel go. And Moses says, who am I? Who's going to listen to me? And the Lord grants him, even at this point, without his request, what is that in thine hand? Staff. Cast it down. Becomes a serpent. Pick it up. There's an interesting command. It becomes a staff again. I haven't listened to it in a long time, but I remember a sermon Dr. Cairns preached years ago on that text. What is that in thine hand? It's an interesting text. It's nothing. It's a stick. Go to Egypt. Do a great work. It doesn't matter if it's a stick or if it's a, a man that doesn't speak well. What matters is God is in it. Well, Moses asked for a sign. How did he ask for it? He asked for it in the same way if we can use another example of Gideon. In the book of Judges, Gideon's called to do a great work and deliver Israel from the Midianites. But he says to God, Lord, who am I? My father's house is small in Israel and I'm the least of my father's house. There's got to be somebody else. And he asked the Lord, almost as to the point of embarrassment, Lord, if you're going to do this, then, and we know the story of Gideon's fleece. He asked more than once for God to confirm this call by a sign. Well, these don't meet with the rebuke that the Pharisees do here. I remember as a little boy asking and asking in my head when I read this and heard it read in church. Lord, as people are asking for a sign and you're all powerful, you can do anything. You just do some amazing miracle and there'd been revival. Well, that's why eight-year-olds aren't in charge of the universe. The problem with the Pharisees was not that Jesus' testimony of himself hadn't been well attested. Remarkable signs had accompanied the arrival of Israel's Messiah. Many of those explicitly predicted in the Old Testament scriptures, works that Jesus fulfilled. Their request for a sign was not, if we can phrase it in this way, as Moses and Gideon, who were men who believed, who in faith asked for signs to increase their faith. It showed that they had no confidence in themselves. Now the Lord was patient and then ultimately ceased His patience with Moses. Of course, Moses, you're nothing. We're beyond that point here. You need to go and do what I'm telling you to do. But for Moses and Gideon, they're asking for a sign, a confirmation was men that were acting in belief as an aid to their belief. The Pharisees, by contrast, had every bit of confidence in themselves. They were saying in their request for a sign, not in faith as an aid to faith, they were asking in unbelief 
as an excuse for their unbelief. You aren't really well attested yet. You've got to show us more. Show us a sign from heaven. He showed them a sign from the earth. His body coming out of the earth in resurrection. The Lord speaks rebuking them for their unbelief. An evil and adulterous generation that seeketh after a sign. None would be given them but the sign of the prophet Jonah. And you think of that sign of the resurrection. It's interesting how it's phrased, verse 38, the, then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered. We don't know, can we say statistically, how many of the scribes and Pharisees remained in unbelief. Perhaps it was a majority. Perhaps it was a vast majority. We don't know. But we do know from Acts that many, some of the chief priests and Pharisees were obedient to the faith. They saw, they heard the sign of the resurrection. And they were converted. But come with me and think lastly of the contrast. A greater than Jonah is here. The men of Nineveh would rise in judgment. Hugh Martin paused at that point, said it is a remarkable feature of this portion of Scripture that it brings out the prospect of different people, individuals, categories, groupings of people who will have some relationship to each other in the day of judgment. And here these Ninevites, think of that, rising on the day of judgment to speak against this generation of Jews that had their very fulfilled scriptures standing before them and did not repent did not believe. What an amazing fact of that. But a great contrast is here. Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites of his own guilt and his own chastening. He bore testimony to something of the truth and the character of his God in all of that for them. Jesus Not a sign of his guilt and failure in his commission as Jonah had failed. Jesus as a sign of his success would come from his three days and three nights. What do we read in 
Isaiah's great servant song, that penitential psalm of believing Israel in a future day. We did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted, worthy of judgment. But now we see he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. A greater than Jonah bears testimony of an infinitely greater work. The work of salvation. A work of atonement. A work of satisfying divine justice. Think of Israel in her seasons of apostasy. The only problem is, is the other nations are controlling more of the world than us. The only problem is the other nations who have these false gods have more power than us and are actually ruling over us. That's the problem in the world. When Israel comes to see, that's not the big problem in the world. The big problem in the world is sin and the gospel. The good news is that there's an answer for sin. It's in this antitype of Jonah. It's in the greater than Jonah. Jonah was a remarkable type, a remarkable sign. But Jesus is greater than Jonah. We have the benefit of living on this side of the resurrection. We have the benefit of that fullest light shining. So let us not be as that generation that wouldn't see the signs, that wouldn't believe a well-attested Messiah. No, let us be believers in Jesus. The type, the sign, the contrast, the greater than Jonah is here. Let's bow our heads together. Lord, tonight we ask that you will comfort our hearts, warm our hearts with news of our risen Christ. Or what it must have been <coughs> in the renewed hearts of those among the chief priests that later became obedient to the faith. To understand something, to understand everything of their Messiah. Don't let us be as that wicked and adulterous generation 
sinning against light and blaming God for not giving greater signs. Oh Lord, let us be as those who believe in the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus. Lord, prosper your word to us this Lord's day. Take us to our homes. Lord, may our homes be places of refuge and joy and love in this crooked generation. And let us, as we consider this morning, have an effective testimony in even troubled times. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.